As Mark read the text, we are now in John 15 for six weeks. We're here to apply Romans chapter 6 through 8. And if you haven't been with us this year, we've been moving through the book of Romans. That's really our study this year, but we've been punctuating sections. When you have a big book like Romans, it seems better to take it in sections and then to punctuate those sections with series that are designed to apply the doctrinal section of Romans that we were just in. Romans 6 through 8 was our most recent section. But last Sunday, we turned to John 15 to begin applying some of the emphases in Romans 6 through 8, namely what it means to obey from the heart. You remember Romans 6, 17 says, Thanks be to God, you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. That phrase, obedient from the heart, is what it means to abide. Abiding is what we have here in John 15. Grace conditions this. Grace conditions obedience from the heart, the obedience of love. And our text in John 15, as you're looking at it, we started with 1 through 6 last week. We're in 7 through 17 for the rest of the time. But really in all 17 verses, we'll, we'll take and, and, and go from place to place in this as we talk about abiding practices Really, grace is the, uh, is the tie. And, and John 15 emphasizes the Lord's organic love for us and that our love for him is in response to his love for us. We see that in this text this morning. And there is to be love for one another. Now, last week in verses 1 through 6, I tried to give you a sense of the imagery. This is the vine and the branches. I am the vine, Jesus says, my father's the vine dresser. I am the vine, down in verse 5, and, and you are the branches. Try to give you a sense of, of how grape vines were cultivated. This comes right out of the vineyard of ancient Israel and, and how grapes were tended to in Jesus' time. That fruitful, you had fruitful branches and unfruitful branches. And that fruitful branches would be trimmed and cleaned, pruned of little suckers and sprigs that would uh, grow and, and take nutrients or they would grow in the wrong place. Uh, and they shaped vines, uh, vine dressers. That's what vine dressers do. He says in verse 1, my father is the vine dresser. He's shaping the branches. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. But we also saw that unfruitful vines get trellised. You know, the trellis, kind of the lattice work or these uh, poles that will be put up and, and, and they get lifted. And so this idea of, of, of lifting is the better way to take verse 2. I'm going back and reviewing now for just a moment. Verse 2 really is, is the idea of being lifted, of being trellised if you're unfruitful. So that, and, and the vineyard owner did that so that the, uh, the, the, the branch would get more aeration, would give it all the opportunity to, to bear fruit. And uh, verse 6 refers to end-of-season hard pruning, but it's all in service to not who is a Christian and who isn't a Christian, as this often gets read. It gets read this way when we don't really understand the background and how the vines and, and branches of the vines were, were worked, what it's actually conveying here. Jesus is talking to disciples. That's the context. Uh, the, the only appearance unbelievers make here is, is uh, the recipients of our, of our witness of love for one another. He's talking to disciples here. He's talking about our usefulness to him. And what does he say? Verse 16, 
You did not choose me, I chose you, appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Some translations, fruit that lasts. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Combining verses 15 and 16 there. We want to be useful to him, but we want to be useful to him from the heart. Out of love. This emphasis that we got in Romans 6 through 8. So I'm commending some practices to help us in this. To help that truth in Romans 6 through 8 to, to, to seat in our hearts. And we started last week with listening, listening as an abiding practice. Have we really heard the gospel? And not just past tense, do we really hear the gospel of no condemnation in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1? Do we hear it? And so last week we we focused in on verse 3 here in John 15. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. That's Jesus' version of Paul's words in, in Romans 8. No condemnation. You're already clean. Are we tuned in to this frequency that is beamed from Scripture all day, every day? Listening is an abiding practice. Now today I want to commend fasting as another abiding practice. This passage does not speak of fasting. I'm not going to read it in. But looking at John 15 as we are to learn what abiding requires of us, what fruit-bearing commends to us, fasting is a good practice. In that, it really does two things for us. I'll give you two things today. It trains our desires for Jesus, and it develops our longings for Jesus. That's what we'll talk about. Fasting as an abiding practice for training our desires for Jesus and develops our longings for Jesus, if it's done rightly. There are wrong ways to fast, There's nothing uniquely Christian about fasting. Uh, Just so you know where we're going in this uh, six weeks, next Sunday we'll take confessing as an abiding practice, confessing our sins one to another. And then two weeks we're going to spend on praying because as you've read the passage, there's a lot here about prayer, asking of God. And then the final Sunday, which will be the first Sunday in December, we'll take serving as an abiding practice because the passage does aim us out. Then we'll be in the Christmas season and then in January we'll come back to Romans. We'll take Romans 9 through 11 in the winter. So today, fasting as an abiding practice for first, training our desires for Jesus and then second, developing our longings for Jesus. This is the value of fasting for disciples of Jesus. Whatever anybody else in any other religion or frame of reference does with fasting, the value of it for disciples of Jesus is for training our desires and developing our longings. First, training our desires. I've been talking to you a lot this year about desire how our desires in and of themselves are not wrong and that the goal of Christian living is not to get rid of our desires. It's for our desires to be ordered, to be organized around something that's greater than ourselves. If the essence of sin is disordered love, we've talked about that all through Romans since January. The essence of sin is love's disordered. Then the work we set ourselves to when we are freed from sin's ownership of us, as we learned in Romans 6 through 8, is getting our loves in order. This is our work of life. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen because you took a discipleship course. It doesn't happen because you have a seminary degree. 
It happens over time as we abide, as we learn to obey the Lord from the heart. So I'll come into you fasting in the midst of this. And part of it is because we live amid great indulgence, particularly this culture. We are affluent by the world's standards. Even uh, if you think you're the poorest person in the room, you are rich by uh, comparison to the rest of the known world. Everything from essentials, things we need every day, to extras spills over its banks in, in our society. I mean, we don't just have one shampoo in the store, we have like 38 shampoos in the store. And when my daughters give me instructions on which shampoo to find in the store, it's very frustrating. Because it's like I'm looking for it and I can't exactly find what you're looking for. It's the special kind that has this sort of herb in it. We're very indulgent. Everything from essentials to extras, our meals all have to be gourmet. Our entertainment choices have to be infinite and so on. We've got to be the only people on the face of the earth who turn on Netflix and go, oh gosh, I've scrolled through like 550 options. There's nothing here to watch, you know. Why does Netflix put up just a bunch of junk, you know. Now, that's not said to shame us, our great indulgence, the saturation with media that we have. It, it, it's just fact. We know it is. And so I say this because when you think of fasting, a lot of you go, oh, no. Just like a lot of you went, oh, no. Last week when we turned to John 15, you thought, oh, man, I'm going to find out I'm not in after all, you know. We go to fasting like it's the other extreme. Uh, you know, you probably think of it like, like dieting, you know, fasting's like extreme dieting. Who wants to do that? Who wants to go without food? Who even wants to miss one meal, uh, much less a, a, a day if you did it that way? And so fasting is shunned. It's too hard. Uh, or it's just something that the super serious Christian does. If I find out that you fast, oh, whoa, whoa, you know, like, thank you for gracing me with your presence here. You know, a little lowly me. I mean, a real, we've got a real disciplined one here, you know. Fasting is really a discipline of self-imposed limitation. And there's not a person in the room who can't participate in that. Self-imposed limitation. It doesn't have to be food. Historically, it's been that. When you see fasting practice in Scripture, that's, that's typically what is in view most of the time. It doesn't have to be food, though it is that in historic practice uh, for, for many. Uh, Deuteronomy 8, the, the passage Jesus quoted when he was fasting in the wilderness, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Fasting doesn't have to be about food. It doesn't have to be long in duration. Whatever duration fasting goes and whatever's being fasted from is a secondary consideration to why it's engaged. And so I'm not going to talk to you in this uh, sermon about how to do it or, or when or, or what. I'm going to talk about why. Why do we want to have our desires for Jesus trained? Why do we want to develop our longings for Jesus? That's why. And as I said, fasting is certainly uh, not uniquely a Christian practice. Many commend uh, today, you can find, you know, celebrity doctors and various people that commend fasting for its certain health benefits. But fasting is a practice that Christians historically, and even going back under the old covenant arrangement, Israel before us, for centuries, Christians, including the founder of our faith, Jesus himself, 
practiced fasting. Again, most of the time, food fasting. You can research why and and how uh, on your own. There are a lot of resources on this for Christians. My interest in the interest of John 15 is the fruit born from the practice, the why that we do this, more, much less on the, the how or, or the when, although it's, it's good to get educated on that. But why we do this, as we do any abiding practice, prayer, serving, listening, fasting, the reason why we would incorporate this is to condition obedience from the heart, to abide in a very indulgent, saturated society such as we live in. Whether the limit you impose on yourself has to do with eating, uh, eating altogether for a time, or not eating a a certain kind of food for a time, whether it's your viewing habits, so-called digital fasts, you know, when do we ever put the phone down? I love the sign in the restaurant, in case of fire, exit the building before putting it on social media. (laughs) I mean, it ain't crazy. You have to, it's tongue-in-cheek. You have to tell people that. We, we're so into these devices. When do you take a break? Um, whether it's about where you spend time or money, I'm going to fast from spending money here for a time. I'm going to uh, impose a, a fast on my time where it's deployed over here. Uh, Paul even refers to a fast from intimacy and in marriage, 1 Corinthians 7. A couple gives the time they would give to that to praying together. Now, he also says, don't go in that long. But um, my interest in the interest of John 15 is the fruit born from the practice. There are all kinds of fasts. What we cannot stress enough is why. And here is why in a sentence. Fasting returns to God the worship we offer something else. Whether that something else is food If you don't think we worship food in this culture, turn on your TV. We have food channels. We have uh, food fairs. We have food bonanzas. (laughs) We have food trucks that come to you. Uh, We worship food. Uh, We worship entertainment, the whole entertainment complex, movies, uh, the, the latest thing you're following on Netflix, the show you're watching. I've been watching one myself. We worship politics. Some of you are political junkies. You can't get enough. You're constantly turning it on. Fasting returns to God the worship that we readily offer something else. And what is worship? Worship is a response. It's the response I give to something or someone of allegiance. And in this case, fasting returns to God the worship we offer something else. Else, And our interest in this is for fruitfulness because that's what Jesus is directing us to in this passage. Being useful to God requires desires being ordered around something greater than ourselves. And I have found and many have found through the centuries fasting is a helpful practice in centering us and bringing us back to what it is we're supposed to be about. Jesus talks here to disciples about our love for him, but not just our love for him. In some ways, that's the easier part. What's the harder part? Our love for one another. The reason we love him is 
his ultimate love for us. Look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. This is the reason we love one another as well. Jesus calls his disciples his friends. We're a community of friends of Jesus. He's befriended you. He's befriended me. Whether we get along or not, he says, is really secondary to the consideration of the interests of love, the good that we are to want and seek for one another. In Romans 6 through 8, we saw it goes even deeper than just friendship. What were we told in Romans 6 through 8? We're actually in the family of God through adoption. And we love him for this. But though it is a family, a community of friends, that's the imagery the New Testament consistently uses, the household of faith. We often find it easier to love God than one another. But he says to us, this is why I've loved you. Not just so that you know my love for you, but so that you experience my love for everyone else that I've loved. You didn't choose me, he says here in verse 16. I chose you. I brought you in on this. This is my initiative. This is my community. And yet we find it hard. These things I command you, verse 17, so that you will love one another. This is the point. The point of relating to God is to relate to the body of Christ. These things come together. We separate them in our subcultural kind of Christian expression, but in, in, in Scripture, this is, this is what we're in this for, is to, is to love one another. Despite family and friendship imagery used of us throughout the New Testament, D.A. Carson is only being honest when he wrote this. Listen to these words by Carson. They're strong. The church itself is not made up of natural friends, but natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything of the sort. Christians come together not because they form a natural connection, but because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance in the light of this common allegiance, in light of the fact that they have always been loved by Jesus himself. They commit themselves to doing what he says, and he commands them to love one another. In this light, they are abandoned of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. It's a lot to think about in what he said. When we read this in verse 17, when I read verse 17, honesty compels me to admit, Lord, I will never do this unless I get a vision of your love for me that so penetrates me that I come to realize that the love you love me with, the love that I enjoy you and I, Lord Jesus and me, is the same love you have for my brothers and sisters in the church community. How do you know when it's a good time to fast? How do you know it's a good time to fast from something for some duration of time. How about when you're struggling with this truth? And you know you are. When you recognize your love for fellow Christians is weak or resistant, or it follows the party lines of the moment. When you like being the natural enemy of another Christian in defiance of what Jesus commands. 
It's this strong in our text. Do you know, let me put it this way to you. Take a step back from this for a moment and see the room. Jesus is with his disciples in John 15, John 13 through 17. 17, chapter 17 is the great prayer for them. Chapter 13, he starts by washing their feet. They have the supper together. And we're coming to that in our own practice of communion, the, 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 the recapitulation of, of that, if you will. And so think about the moment. Think about the men. Who do we have sitting on each side of Jesus? Do you realize who we have? Simon the Zealot is there. He's been a disciple of Jesus now for three years. Do you know who zealots were politically? Not just the right, okay? They were the alt-right of the day. The zealots were the far-right expression of, of politics. They, you could even call them a cult of conservatism. And Jesus says to Simon the Zealot, I want you to follow me, and he does. And guess who else Jesus says, I want you to follow me to? Matthew. You know who Matthew is? He's a tax collector. Do you know who they were politically? The left, the hated left. How dare Jesus bring somebody from the left? Zealots like Simon. Here's how bad this was. I would have loved to have heard some discussions between Simon and Matthew walking place to place. Here's how bad this was. Zealots like Simon would stick daggers in the kidneys of tax collectors like Matthew if they could get away with it. And tax collectors like Matthew would wring the wallets of zealots like Simon out because they could get away with it. The animosity between these two men was real. And what does Jesus do? Makes both of them his disciples. Brings them into the same fellowship. What is he doing? Would any of us in this room advise him to do that? Would the people that you listen to for hours every week advise him to do that? Jesus makes both of them his disciples. It's time to fast when we, when we really reject Jesus doing this because I don't just feel irritation with that other person on the other side. I, I feel animosity toward brothers and sisters the Lord loves, but I will not. I will not. I will not. Who am I talking to? Who do I think I am? When I need to repent and return to what Jesus directs me to, fasting is a fantastic practice for this. But now when I say this, please understand, fasting is not penance and it is not being hard on myself. Fasting is for being useful to Jesus. It is to aid my listening so that I'm hearing him above all the chatter and the clamor out there, all the talking heads vying for my attention whether they're on ESPN or Fox or CNN or people in the coffee houses or wherever they are? Am I listening to Jesus Christ? Am I dialed into him in this media-saturated, indulgent culture that I live in? So fasting, whether from food or media saturation or something else, it's not to punish myself. If you go without food for a set time, let's say, you decide I'm going to fast from lunch this, this week on X day, and I'm going to use that time that I would otherwise be eating to pray and read scripture and seek the Lord. You will feel hunger pangs. You will. And if when you feel them, you think to yourself, good, I deserve to be discomforted. Stop fasting and eat. Okay? Don't stop praying. 
But stop fasting because if, if, if you have a desire in that to inflict punishment on yourself, that is not what this is about. If we think we need to punish ourselves, every time you think that, you bypass the gospel of grace lavished on you because Jesus took our punishment in our place. The work of life for many of us is just to believe that. Imposing a limit on oneself for a set time is a discipline. It's not a punishment. Why are we doing this? In order to expand our love. Our love for him, our love for one another, to get our desires ordered by Jesus. Nothing is mastering me but him. We ask the Lord to make us more sensitive to him, to desire him as much as my stomach is telling me I desire food. As much as, as, my, as my mind is telling me I, I desire news right now. Uh, so they're, they're saying something on my favorite show and I'm missing it. You know, as much as we desire sport, you take it from me as the fan of a long-suffering program, okay? Uh, fast a season of your favorite team, and it will put that team in the right order in your, in your uh, way of life. Whatever it is, fasting returns to God the worship we offer something else. And it also does this, and I don't want you to, to, to miss this. It returns us to the people of God as well. If you do fasting just for your own ascetic, it is to return us to the people of God. And so when we fast, we do so asking the Lord, help Help me love your people as they are, as I find them, and as they find me, not through gritted teeth. God doesn't want that, but from the heart. Do a work in my heart. That my heart would yearn for you as much as my stomach is yearning for food, as much as my eyes want to see entertainment galore, you know. That I'd want you that, that same way. I love that God put a zealot and a tax collector into the original disciples. Now, doesn't it make sense when you know who's sitting there, why he would talk about loving one another? And you go, well, that's impossible. Those two guys will never love each other. But they did. What better way to teach us to love one another than to make friends and family of natural enemies? That's what the Lord is doing in the world. By this my Father is glorified, verse 8, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. There's no plan B. What is the fruit? Our love for one another, informed by his love for us. Fasting is an abiding practice to get in on what God is holding open here. We don't fast to turbocharge our praying so that we can get what we want from him or show God how serious or sincere we are. We fast so that our praying conforms to his will for us. What am I missing, Lord? Right now I'm missing a meal. What am I missing with you? I'm missing this meal in order to, to seek you and to, to know. I'm, I'm turning off the TV for this season in order to use the time I would be sitting and watching and absorbing and, and reacting to, to think, what am I missing with you? What am I not seeing? It's, it's a sensitizing kind of, of practice. When I'm not loving the body of Christ, it's time to fast but also when I'm easily distracted or I'm consumed by cares or worries, time to fast because the other fruit-bearing effect of this, our second consideration of two, is fasting is an abiding practice for developing our longings for Jesus. 
Remember the context of John 15. Remember what day this is. Jesus will undergo crucifixion the very next day. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, and someone lay down his life for his friends. He's literally about to do that. And so we'll no longer be with his disciples bodily the way he has been with them to this point. And his original disciples, they thought this every time he taught about it. Do you realize that? Every time he indicated that he might be going somewhere away from them, there's no way. And one time when he taught on this, he incorporated fasting. Let me give you a quick cross-reference. You don't have to turn there, but it's Luke chapter 5, verse 33 through 35. And they said to him, the Pharisees, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Why? Why would we fast? Out of longing for the bridegroom's return. Those days are these days. We, the spiritual descendants of these disciples, we want Jesus back, don't we? Fasting, according to Jesus, is practiced by disciples of his in, in order to tune our longings, develop our longings specifically for his return. To make just another brief cross-reference to you, there's a psalm, Psalm 73, and, and the last verse in that psalm, for years I couldn't, I couldn't understand what is the psalmist getting at. It's Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire beside you. For the longest time I thought, that's just unrealistic. Earth has a lot of things I desire. But then I realized that what the psalmist is talking about is, is a certain kind of longing. What does earth have that I really long for? Well, really nothing. There's many things I desire here and now, many things I want strongly and pray for, but what I long for is to see the face of God. That's what he's talking about. Earth doesn't have Jesus like I want Jesus. I can access a relationship with him on earth. I can see his work in his body. I can, I can learn about him. Earth will be the stage on which I will see him should his return precede my death. But to be on earth now is to live in eclipse, in a way, from seeing him the way I want to see him. Even these communion elements that will ingest uh, in, in mere moments the little piece of gluten-free bread, all of it's gluten-free now, by the way, this little tiny swig of grape juice, I, I long for the marriage supper of the Lamb, the eternal feast with him one way we build our anticipation for this the sights the sounds the tastes of the kingdom of heaven when Jesus reigns one way is through practicing spiritual disciplines abiding practices like fasting that returns my worship from so many things I like and desire but there's only one thing that I have to long for that's Jesus himself and so if you do a food fast and you've got these hunger pangs, if, if you do a media fast and you've got FOMO, fear of missing out, you know, FOMO pains, what's going on on my phone right now that I'm not getting to see? That pain is not for me to go squaring off with myself. Well, I deserve to want. I deserve to be discomforted. No, my view is taken higher to beyond me in my frailty 
I'm in relationship with God because of Jesus. I don't deserve this. I who cannot go one meal without getting cranky. Or you who can't stand to not be in the know because candidly, you love controversy. You love shaking your head at people in the spotlight. Oh, show me more of people not at their best so I can prop myself up on them. Give the zealots more Matthews to condemn to hell. Give the Matthews more Simons to hold their hypocrisy over. We're called to abide. We're called to obey from the heart. And this is not just individual in practice. The text shows us that it's one another. Loving one another is our expression of abiding. And when and where I find my heart clouded, preoccupied, hardened toward you, editorial you, Fasting is a good abiding practice. It it helps to break that in me, the hold of that, the hold of self-justification, the hold of I'm right and I know it. And it reminds me of my frailty and my need is greater than just daily bread. It's I, I need the Lord. I need to see him high and lifted up. I want to bear fruit for him. One more reference back to Romans 8. See how John 15 this sounds. Romans 8, verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We talked about that in Romans 8, but in John 15 terms, you know what that's saying? We are branches on a vine. That's what first fruits of the Spirit is about called by the one the Spirit keeps our attention trained on to bear fruit for him. And you know what abiding practices will do for you? They'll give you the want to. The want to. I want to bear fruit. We don't get there without some self-discipline. I'm just a branch. My fruit bearing is a drop in the larger bottle of his vintage, but I want to be in on the distribution if I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Abiding practices keep this before me. They're hard, which is why they're worth doing. <laughs> Going without a meal for, or a day of them or more, limiting something I otherwise would engage or even indulge in order to place myself more intentionally before the Lord to, to listen. Our desires need conditioning. They need training, not removal. They need redirecting. And our our longings need developing and cultivating so that we don't set our hearts on anything here to satisfy us. Everything here is subject to the groaning of here and now. The world aching and it's waiting for its maker and all with him to return and, and put it right side up. Abiding practices tune us to the glory that will be when the groaning is no more and self limitation is no longer needed. Because frailty is no longer experienced. We will finally be as we were made to be in fullness. Fasting returns to God. The worship we offer to anything less until then. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for giving us this truth in John 15. We thank you that we can talk about a practice like fasting from it. And Lord, help us in our practice to... um, in our practice of a discipline of self-limitation to always keep the why before us, to not get so hung up on the how and the what. That's not where you're hung up. It's the why. And Lord, that we would be a people who love one another. And where we don't, 
we would recognize your relentlessness in pursuing us. You don't chase us, but you do pursue us. And you pursue us in a way that, that you're always in our view. You're never running behind us. You're always in our view somewhere. We just don't see you. And you're pointing us back. Go back to what I told you. Go back to what I've given you. It's not a new word we need from you. It's the old word practiced. Lord, help us in this. We are weak. We know our frailties. And when we practice abiding practices like fasting, we are keenly aware of our frailties and our weaknesses. But in that, Lord, would you meet us and show us of how much you care and how much you're for us and how much you want us to be yours. Thank you for that abiding truth. In Jesus' name, amen.